Welcome back to season three of Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode on brain tumors will be hosted by Oliver Mui, an international medical student from Hong Kong. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. I am Oliver, a medical student from Hong Kong, and today I will be your host. Today, we will be covering 11 cases of brain tumors geared for the Step 1 exams. Fascinating stuff. For those new here, this podcast has a Q&A format, so feel free to take some time to think or pause the podcast if needed. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Now, for the first case. A 50-year-old man comes to your clinic with worsening headaches and word-finding difficulty over the past two months. Examination shows bilateral papilledema. MRI of the brain shows a mass in the left temporal lobe that crosses the midline with rim enhancement and central necrosis. Which brain tumor does this patient most likely have? That's right, it's a glioblastoma multiforme. This tumor looks like a butterfly and commonly arises from the cerebral hemispheres and crosses the midline through the corpus callosum. Do you remember which cell type this nasty tumor arises from? Astrocytes. It's also known as WHO grade 4 astrocytoma. And what characteristic findings might you see under the microscope? Pseudopalisading tumor cells around regions of necrosis and endometrial cell proliferation. Alright, so I picked this question from UWorld, and it might show up in your exams. So, which DNA repair gene, when silenced, leads to a better response from alkylating chemotherapy? The MGMT DNA repair gene. When this gene is methylated, or silenced, it stops repairing the damage caused by alkylating chemotherapy, and so these tumors have a better response. Alright, now for a different case. A 20-year-old boy comes into the clinic for headaches and difficulty walking for the past month. His father died from bilateral renal cell carcinoma when he was 30. MRI is performed and shows an enhancing lesion in the infratentorial region. Pathology shows tightly packed, thin-walled blood vessels with interweaving stromal cells. Which brain tumor does this patient most likely have? Right, so he has a hemangioblastoma. These tumors like to show up in the cerebellum, the spinal cord, and the retina. Which familial syndrome are hemangioblastomas associated with? These brain tumors are often associated with von Hippel-Lindau disease, which is why you might see question stems mentioning family members with renal cell carcinoma, pheochromocytomas, or cysts in the pancreas, liver, or kidneys. On a brief tangent, do you remember the mode of inheritance of VHL disease? That's right, it's caused by a mutation 
which is autosomal dominant in the VHL gene, which is located on chromosome 3P. Do you remember why mutations in the VHL gene cause cancer? VHL is a tumor suppressor gene, which normally tags HIF transcription factor with ubiquitin for degradation. Loss of VHL will lead to unregulated HIF action, leading to growth factor overproduction, such as VEGF and EPO. These growth factors like to cause the growth of blood vessels, which conveniently explains the microscopic appearance of hemangioblastomas. Alright, time for the third case. A 60-year-old man comes into the A&E department after a seizure which lasted 5 minutes. He has had morning headaches and nausea for the past one month. A contrast-enhanced MRI is done, revealing the presence of multiple lesions with well-circumscribed margins. Which type of brain tumor does this patient most likely have? This patient most likely has brain metastases. Brain metastases in general account for a quarter to half of all brain cancers. Just as a quick recap, do you remember which radiological features may help differentiate brain metastases from other lesions? So there are generally four things. The presence of multiple lesions, localization at the junction of the gray and white matter, circumscribed margins, and large amounts of vasogenic edema compared to the size of the lesion. Which organ or system is most likely the origin of this brain tumor? The primary tumor of brainy metastases most likely will come from the lungs, which accounts for around 20%. This is followed by melanoma, then renal cell carcinoma, then breast, and finally colorectal carcinoma. Now, on to the next case. A 10-year-old boy comes into the clinic for a morning headache with vomiting. His mother also reports that he has become more irritable in the past month. An MRI shows a large cystic mass with a mural nodule in the posterior fossa. Which brain tumor does this patient most likely have? This patient most likely has a pilocytic astrocytoma. These were called juvenile pilocytic astrocytomas, so it's a good way to remember that these usually occur in children and young adults. It's considered to be WHO grade 1, and from that, we can guess that it's a benign tumor. Alright, do you remember where these tumors are usually located? Good. These tumors are commonly located in the cerebellum. Compression on these cerebellar structures may lead to ataxia, with uncoordinated movement or unsteady gait. It may also involve the third ventricle, leading to hydrocephalus, or on the optic pathways, causing visual disturbances. So look out for this tumor if these things pop up on the questions then. Do you remember the morphological features of pilocytic astrocytomas?
On microscopy, you could see Rosenthal fibers. However, question stems don't really like to give away the game so soon, and they may describe this as an elongated or corkscrew-like structure that are brightly pink on HNE stain. Other less buzzwordy microscopic features include eosinophilic granular bodies and microcysts. The tumor cells themselves stain GFAT positive. Do you remember what cell type classically stains GFAT positive? Right, so neuroglial cells. So this includes things like astrocytes, Schwann cells. So whenever you see something that stains GFAT positive, think of things like astrocytomas or glioblastomas. Time for the fifth case. A seven-year-old Asian boy comes into the clinic with a two-month history of headache and vomiting. Examination shows isoscoria with no pupillary light, light reflex and upward gaze palsy. Fundoscopy shows bilateral papilledema. An MRI with contrast enhancement shows a midline mass in the pineal region. Which brain tumor does he most likely have? Good, so he most likely has an intracranial germ cell tumor. This is analogous to the seminoma in the testes. What sort of patient comes to your mind when you think of this tumor? Right, so these tumors are more common in the Japanese population. It accounts for around 10% of brain tumors in that population. You would also expect it to be a young child and male, especially if it evolves the pineal region. In the question stem, I mentioned that the patient has upward gaze palsy. Patients with tumors or lesions in the dorsal midbrain region often have this problem. Do you remember the name of this particular syndrome? Right, so this is Paranod syndrome. Paranod syndrome is also known as dorsal midbrain syndrome. So this occurs when there's a lesion or a tumor in the dorsal midbrain compressing on the structures like the tectum and the superior colliculus, which are involved in coordinating eye movement. So this causes a constellation of symptoms, including upward gaze palsy, convergence retraction nystagmus, a sun-setting eye sign, and a pseudo-Argrel-Robertson pupil. The pseudo in this situation is because these patients usually have a mild response to light in comparison to the normal Argrel-Robertson pupil, in which there is absolutely no pupillary response. Now, a 40-year-old woman comes into the clinic with left lower limb weakness for the past month. She also has a two-month history of headaches and nausea. MRI imaging shows a well-circumscribed lesion in the right parasagittal region. A resected specimen of the mass shows a whorled pattern of spindle cells. Which brain tumor does she most likely have?
This is a meningioma. This is the second most common primary intracranial tumor. And the patient group you should be thinking of are middle-aged women. Several UWorld question explanations have mentioned that these tumors often have progesterone or estrogen or sometimes androgen receptors, and so um, it might help you remember this demographic. Do you remember what the cellular origin of these tumors are? Good, so they arise from arachnoid cells of the meninges. This is, a, this is an extremely commonly tested question. That's why they are often attached to the dura, external to the brain, and usually compress but don't invade it. Where do these tumors most frequently arise from? Good, so they most likely arise from the convexities of the cerebral hemispheres or the parasagittal regions. These two account for around 40% of total cases. If they arise from the parasagittal region where the lower limb area for the homunculus is, you would expect lower extremity weakness on the contralateral side, as in this question stem. On microscopy, what would you expect to see? That's great. So, in low-grade meningiomas, there are several histologic subtypes which might show up in your exam. One of them is called a meningothelial pattern, which is basically a world appearance. Another one is somomatous, with lots of somoma bodies. On the topic of somoma bodies, do you remember any other tumors which also have somoma bodies? So papillary thyroid carcinoma, mesothelioma, ovarian and endometrial serous carcinomas, and somatostatinomas all have somoma bodies. Let's say you come across a patient with multiple meningiomas along with a six-month history of tinnitus and difficulty hearing. What does this raise alarm bells for? Great. You should be thinking of neurofibromatosis type 2. It's an autosomal dominant disorder. I like to remember what neurofibromatosis type 2 encompasses with its own name, MISME syndrome, ISME syndrome. So this stands for multiple inherited schwannomas, meningiomas, and ependymomas. Do you remember which gene is mutated in neurofibromatosis type 2? Right, so it's the NF2 gene. This codes for Merlin, which is a tumor suppressor gene found in nerves. So loss of this tumor suppressor will lead to these multiple brain tumors. Do you remember which cell type schwannomas arise from? So these are peripheral sheath tumors, which arises from neural crest cells. A stain that might help identify this is the S100 stain. What other tumors do you know that can be identified by this S100 stain? Hopefully, you should remember melanomas of the skin and Langerhans cell histiocytosis. 
on microscopy, what would you see when examining a schwannoma? Classically, there's two histological subtypes present, which we call Antony A and Antony B. In your question stem, they may describe this as alternating zones of dense, which is what Antony A means, and sparse, which is what B means, cellularity. Okay, let's say a 10-year-old girl comes to your clinic for a one-month history of morning headaches, nausea, vomiting, and clumsiness. Gait examination demonstrates a broad-based gait. MRI shows a midline posterior fossa mass involving the cerebellum. On microscopy, sheets of small, round, blue cells are seen. What brain tumor does she most likely have? She has a medulloblastoma. This tumor accounts for 20% of pediatric brain tumors. This tumor mostly shows up in children, and if they do arise in the pediatric population, expect it to be midline, near the cerebellum. They might compress on the ventricles, leading to hydrocephalus and posterior vermis syndrome. In adults, it's more often found in a lateral position. Do you remember which cell type this tumor arises from? Medulloblastomas have a neuroectodermal origin. Some of the neuroectodermal tumors have a small round blue cell appearance that looks similar to normal progenitor cells of the central nervous system. Other small round blue cell tumors include Ewing sarcoma, medulloblastomas, neuroblastomas, and small cell lung carcinoma. On microscopy, what buzzword might you associate with medulloblastomas? Right, Homer Wright rosettes. These beautiful rosettes may be described in the question stem as small round blue cells surrounding a fibril rich neurophil. Do you remember the general prognosis of this condition if it goes untreated? If medulloblastomas go untreated, the prognosis is very poor. However, with surgical excision, chemotherapy, and radiotherapy, survival gets a lot better, to around a 75% five-year survival. This is because medulloblastomas respond super well to radiotherapy. Let's say a 50-year-old man comes into your clinic due to a recent generalized tonic-clonic seizure. He was previously healthy. MRI shows a lesion in the right frontal lobe. A biopsy is performed and microscopy shows sheets of isomorphic round nuclei surrounded by clear cytoplasm. Which brain tumor does he most likely have? Right, so this patient most likely has an oligodendroglioma. This type of glial tumor usually arises in the fourth and fifth decades of life and often presents with seizures. Do you remember where in the brain oligodendrogliomas like to live in? Good. Oligodendrogliomas are often found in the frontal or temporal regions. What sort of buzzwords should help you remember the microscopic appearance of these tumors? 
so a fried egg appearance, and chicken wire capillaries. Again, question stems don't really like giving away the answer immediately with these buzzwords, but like describing them in a roundabout fashion. So you might see sheets of isomorphic round nuclei surrounded by abundant clear cytoplasm for fried egg cells, and a delicate network of anastomosing capillaries for chicken wire capillaries. Another characteristic finding is calcifications, though it's not always present. So some board review books might mention some mutations, like an IDH mutation or a chromosome 1p19q translocation. These simply help differentiate oligodendrogliomas from other tumors, such as diffuse astrocytomas. Okay, so a 10-year-old boy complains of a headache and visual disturbance. His mother also mentions he recently started drinking and urinating more frequently than usual. Physical examination reveals by temporal hemanopia. On MRI, a calcified supracellar mass is seen compressing the infundibular stalk. Which brain tumor does he most likely have? Great, so this boy has a craniopharyngioma. On imaging, these tumors are often calcified and are located in the suprasellar region. What is the embryological origin of a craniopharyngioma? Craniopharyngiomas arise from the epithelial remnants of Ratke's pouch. New World wants you to know that Ratke's pouch is an upward evagination of the oral ectoderm which eventually forms the anterior pituitary. Do you remember which hormone might increase in level if it compresses on the pituitary stalk? Hopefully you got prolactin. Recall that the pituitary stalk connects the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. Because prolactin secretion from the anterior pituitary is undertonic inhibition by hypothalamic dopamine, Loss of this dopamine from the hypothalamus leads to a hyperprolactinemia. So in older adolescents, they may complain of sexual dysfunction or amenorrhea in the question stem. On the flip side, other pituitary hormones are going to decrease in level. For example, lack of posterior pituitary ADH may lead to diabetes insipidus, and so the question stem may mention a patient who drinks and urinates frequently. Another anterior pituitary hormone might be growth hormone, which may lead to a short child or failure to thrive if deficient. Time for the last brain tumor. A five-year-old boy comes to the clinic due to headache, nausea, and vomiting. Neurological examination shows bilateral papilledema. Neuroimaging shows a calcified tumor in the fourth ventricle and enlarged lateral ventricles. Which brain tumor does he most likely have? So when you see a ventricular tumor, think ependymoma. Recall that ependymal cells line the ventricles and have these cute cilia that circulate CSF around the brain and have these microvilli that absorb CSF. So it's easy to remember where these tumors like to show up which is in the fourth ventricle. Do you remember what the microscopic buzzword for ependymomas are? Great, 
it's perivascular pseudorosettes. That basically means that the tumor cells are arranged around vessels. It's considered to be a pseudorosette and not a true rosette, like the homorite rosettes of medulloblastomas, because it surrounds a native structure, which is like the vessel and not tumors itself. Well, that was the last case. Time for a quick recap. We started off the episode with glioblastoma multiforme, a nasty butterfly-shaped tumor that has pseudopalisading tumor cells. Then we moved on to a case of hemangioblastoma associated with von Hippel-Lindau disease. And then a metastatic tumor with multiple well-circumscribed lesions found in the junction between the gray and white matter. Then we talked about pilocytic astrocytomas and reviewed what GFAT positivity meant. I hope you remember the case of a Japanese boy with a germ cell tumor and paranoid syndrome, and the meningioma and its somoma bodies. Don't forget that neurofibromatosis type 2 is also known as multiple inherited schwannomas, meningiomas, and ependymomas. My favorite tumor of them all is the medulloblastoma, with its beautiful homorite rosettes and small round blue cells. We also discussed the oligodendroglioma, with its fried eggs and chicken wire capillaries, and the cranial pharyngioma and its oral ectodermal origin. Finally, remember that tumors in ventricles should prompt you to remember ependymomas. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.